0: We've been in this uh, proximity series the last few weeks, and uh, I'm going to continue that this morning and then get into talking about Pentecost Sunday. But um, Psalm 1, says, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor nor stand in the path of sinners, sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. It's interesting how that progresses, too, by the way. (laughs) If I receive bad bad advice from wicked people, I'm probably going to end up walking with them. And I'm probably going to end up walking with them so much that I just get comfortable and sit down and make myself at home with them. But anyway, uh, but as the light is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night, he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields fruit in its season, and his leaf does not wither, and whatever he does, he prospers. He'll be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields fruit in its season. Which yields fruit continually? Which yields fruit uh, without ceasing, without end? And that is our goal: is to be a people and to be a church that bears fruit continually, that bears fruit perpetually, and and and. Rather than trying really hard for fruit to happen, we just want fruit to flow because we get planted by the streams of living water. That's, that's what this is all about, and, and that getting planted, that proximity to God is absolutely everything, and so, uh, and so that's what we've been using to kind of springboard into this series we've been discussing, and, um, and I want to be a people that does our best for God, and I want to work hard for the Lord, but I also want to just be live my life to such in such a way the fruit always continues to happen and and i, I wake up every day and i think lord what are you going to do today and i promise you that when i go to bed tonight and we'll say lord what are you going to do tomorrow and then i will wake up in the morning we'll say lord what are you going to do today and, and and just live with that sense of expectation that that I think that if I get planted next to him, I'll see the fruit, but I also believe that if I get planted next to him, he'll expose things that need exposed, and so I don't say that with arrogance, I expect to see fruit, but but I do say that with confidence, that I do expect to see God to move every single day, because I'm living with him, and and trying to do, and trying to hear his voice, and just respond to whatever he is saying, and so, uh, so yeah, we want to bear fruit, folks. <laughs> if and if we just live in close proximity to Yahweh, we, we absolutely, absolutely, absolutely would. And again, bearing fruit, it's not so much as <sighs> trying really hard, as I think, so much as it is just getting planted next to Jesus. It's a, it's a proximity issue. And uh, we know the verse in Matthew in Matthew says, "Every good tree bears good fruit and every bad tree bears bad fruit." And so it'd be really weird to go to an apple tree and expect it to produce oranges, right? I mean, it'd it'd just be nonsensical. Or vice versa, it'd be very weird to go to Florida and look at an orange tree and say, that's going to produce an apple. No, that doesn't happen. It produces of its kind. And so if we're going to produce good fruit, we need to actually be good. And that happens, again, by getting planted next to Jesus, James 4, 8 says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. And and we're using that to kind of kick off right here. Now, we're celebrating Pentecost Sunday, in which the Lord gave the gift of the Holy Spirit, and it's actually the promise of the Father. By the way, if someone says whether the Father promised, he promised that he would pour the Holy Spirit out on us. And without the Holy Spirit, we're essentially toast. (laughs) We are, I can assure you that. And so... We're going to use, one of my favorite verses is Luke 24, 49, and again, that talks about the promise of the Father. Jesus says, and behold, I'm, I'm going to send you the promise of my Father upon you, <laughs> but you are to stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. And so Jesus says, you're going to receive this promise, I'm getting ready to go away, but I'm going to send forth this promise from my Father, and, uh, and then you're going to be clothed with power from on high, and and that right there is what actually sets the difference between us and, and the rest of the world, is we're actually clothed with power from on high. And, and if we're not, or if we don't realize it, we need to come into the revelation that we are, because that's the only way we're going to be effective doing what the Lord has called us to do. Then if we look at Acts, let's see here. Oh, Look at Acts chapter 1. Jesus says, go and wait. Yeah, this is really fascinating to me, by the way. He says, go and wait in the city, which that go and wait, you've heard me say that means to go get seated in the city, go sit down. And then look at Acts 1 verses 4. All right, 1-4. And then we'll look at Acts 2 in just a moment. But Acts 1-4 says, Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait, to get seated for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard from me. Verse 5, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. I I love that, by the way, because we know the rest of the story. He says, not many days from now, you'll be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Jesus has a much different concept of time than we do. (laughs) Because I think not many, if you tell me not many days from now, I'm thinking two or three days. Right? Or tomorrow. Right? Or tomorrow. I'm probably, like if I talk to a salesman and they say they're going to get back to me in a few days, I really expect them to call me the very next day. (laughs) At least two. This was at least least ten that they had to go and wait. Now, which is mind-boggling because I'm thinking, like, in our society, like, if he says, go and wait not many days, I'm thinking, I'm, I'm, 10 days feels a lot more, Jesus, than not many. <laughs> he says, go and wait. And so, so then, verse 8, he says, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. So it's to our advantage that we receive the Holy Spirit. It's to our advantage that we wait, right? And it's to our advantage that we get seated in his presence. Now look at Acts chapter 2. Acts 2, it says, When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And so they were, again, Logan kind of alluded to it, that after Jesus had rose from the grave... He actually showed himself, I think it's Luke, that says he showed himself to over 500 people. And we know that there's 120 in the upper room waiting. So what happened to the other 380? I I have no idea. Did the other 380, did they start off in the upper room? Were they like, he said not many days? (laughs) And they got aggravated and frustrated that it took more than a few days, actually, right? We don't know, but we know that he showed himself to 500 but only 120 were in the upper room. And I can't help but think that that's a picture of really American Christianity in any way. It's like we we experience his glory, we experience his power, we experience his goodness, and then it's like, well, what happened? Where'd everyone go? And and I don't understand it, but I'm not going to complain. I'm just saying that's just really kind of what happens. And so it says they were all together in one place, in verse 2, and suddenly, (laughs) again, he says not many days from now, and he says, go and wait, and then it says, and suddenly, and, and I kid around a lot, I think there's nothing, and suddenly, about a 10-day prayer meeting. <laughs> there's not, there's not. Now, I know there's sometimes when I get into the, my prayer closet, and I pray, like an hour, hour and a half, two hours goes by, and it, and it feels like that, and it's like, where did my day go, Right? And it's like, it's just, it's like, whoa, I was with the Lord. But 10 days, there's not much and suddenly about that. I, I can, yeah, anyway. And suddenly there came from heaven like a noise, a violent rushing of wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And verse three, and there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And I love this, so Luke 24, 49 Jesus says go and wait, go and tarry in Jerusalem until you receive power from on high. And then right here it says the tongues as of fire distributing themselves and rested on them. And so it's the exact same words rest and wait and you've heard me teach on this a lot because I really think this is a life's message. Now, is that if we get what if we would just say I'm going to get seated in the Lord's presence, then actually the presence of the Lord becomes seated on me. That's really amazing. So if I get seated in the Lord's presence, and again, the word go and wait means to actually sink down as if you were sitting. So if I get seated in a relaxed posture, in Psalms 46.10, be still, know that I'm God. Cease striving and know I'm God. Sink down as if you're sitting and know that I'm God. If I get seated in the Lord's presence, it actually makes me a lengthening strip for the power of God to come and rest on me. Now we get hung up in the church in Nazarene right here and we're afraid to even read this verse because it says tongues. Don't get focused on that. Get focused that the Lord poured his power and presence out on his people so that they could do what God called him to do. And I want to be so seated in the presence of God that whatever he wants to do in me and through me, he actually can because I have lingered long enough, even when I probably was getting bored and thinking, what else is going on in the world, right? Or what else is going on? Or this, that, or the other. I've got this to do, that to do, whatever. If we would get seated in his presence, we'd become a landing pad for his presence and he would use us. I just think that's really incredible. Rob Rob McCorkle says we become a runway for the presence and the power of God to come. And I just think that's so 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 neat, and so and so there appeared to and the, and they rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues, and the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven, and when this sound, when this blast, when this noise, when this language occurred, the crowd came together, and they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. It's really amazing. So, so the Lord came to such a degree that actually it created something out there in the spirit that created a noise, a sound, a blast. The breath of God actually drew people near. I'm more impressed by that than you guys. They were amazed and astonished, saying, why are all these, Gal- why are all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that each hear in their own language to which we were born? And it, it goes on and it goes on and on and on. It doesn't go on and on and on. It's actually really quick. But it goes on and they're really worried, and then they actually accuse the people of being drunk, and Peter stands up and says, We're not drunk. It's only, you know, it's only morning time. And he says, This is that which Joel prophesied. And then 3,000, I'm really paraphrasing here, then 3,000 came to faith in the Lord that day. I, <laughs> they got seated in the presence of the Lord. The power of the Lord comes and gives them exactly what they need so that they can begin to minister and do what they have to do. Peter stands up and preaches, arguably, I, I think probably the second greatest sermon of all time. I think the first greatest sermon was Jesus in Matthew 5 and 6, preaching the Sermon on the Mount. Then Peter gets up and begins to preach, and this guy that always puts his foot in his mouth, the one that had just denied Jesus. And by the way, it's really interesting to me that Peter had denied Christ three times, right, and and, and always did silly stuff and always did dumb stuff, and and. Got mad when Jesus said that I'm going to go to heaven, basically. And Peter's like, No, you can't. And, and Jesus' is like, Get behind me, Satan. So he had all this stuff going on with Peter. And then Peter's the one that gets so filled with the Holy Spirit that the Lord uses mightily, which I think is an encouragement that means that any knucklehead filled with the Spirit, God can use mightily. <clears throat> well, I can't do this. Well, look at Peter. He was. Mess. <laughs> hmm. See, there's something unique that happens when we get into the presence of God. And there's something unique that happens when we actually stay in the presence of God. Now, what do I what mean, stay in the presence of God? Like, I don't think you have to live here all week. And, and, and I, you don't have to live at River City Hope Church all week, okay? You can actually live your life where you're always in the presence of God. And he's all places all the time, so we understand that. You, you can live your life where you're aware of his presence every single day. And, and I don't have that down fully yet because there's times where I'm not thinking about him and, and I'm not aware. But then uh, there are days when I'm becoming very, very <laughs> much more aware that he's there all the time. And I want to get to the point where I'm always aware of his presence because I think that's how he begins to move and blow through us. All right. So look at Luke, um, look at Luke chapter 10, starting with verse 38. So what, what is it, you know, we, we want the power of God. We want the fruit of God. We want revival. We want all these things. I've often tried to imagine what it looked like in Acts chapter 2 when they're, in the upper room and they would have been worshiping they would have been praying they would have been probably singing songs they would have been singing hymns they probably would have been reading some of the psalms they would they would have done a lot of stuff but I think Luke 10 38 through 42 is actually a picture of what it looked like in the spirit what these guys were doing now they may not have physically been doing this but I believe this is what they were doing. And if I think if this is what they were doing, I think this is what we could do in our day-to-day lives. And so this will all make sense here in a second. Look, look at this, 38 through 42. It says, Now as they were traveling along, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet listening to his word. The word seated here, it's the... It, it's it's a different word than was used that I read in Luke 24, 49 and in Acts 2, 3, but it has the exact same root. But anyway, it says, He was seated at the Lord's feet, making preparation. Oh, I'm sorry, she was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. <laughs> But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you're worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part which shall not be taken from her. So what happens when we get seated in proximity to Jesus? Well, in proximity to Jesus, when you get seated, and I believe this is what they were doing in the upper room, by the way, because these guys were, they were, they were worried that they were going to die. Just a few chapters before in Luke, Jesus actually finds his disciples hiding, right? And he actually walks through a wall, which would have been really freaky, and he shows himself to Thomas, right? He shows himself Thomas is here, touch this, and he goes through the wall, talks to him and sees him, reassures him, and so these guys had just been hiding, and, and, and I'm sure they had a lot of worries like, okay, we just followed this guy, what's going to happen to us? We know what happened to him, what's going to happen to us? And so, so here's this picture of where we can actually forget about our cares. And so look at verse 40. It says, but Martha, and I'm going to hop around in no particular order in this passage, all right? But Martha was distracted with all her preparations. And she came to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister's left me doing all this serving alone? Tell her to help me. Like, it sounds like, it sounds like when I was growing up, like, dad would be like, go do this. And my dad, my goodness, we, we were telling, I was on the phone call with my sister this past week, and we were laughing about that. My sister just sold her house, and she has, uh, she has her little girl, and then she has like, she has three stepkids. And so all the kids had to wake up early, and she was making the kids clean the baseboards, <laughs> which is what Dad used to make us do. It's like Saturday. On Saturday mornings, which is the day to sleep in, what we think, right? Dad would be like, wake us up at like eight thirty in the morning and be mad that we weren't up, and be like, here, and hand us the pledge and say, it's your turn to clean the baseboards, and it never failed, it never, never would fail that at least one of our siblings, never me because I never complain, but uh, one of our (laughs) one of our siblings would be like, (laughs) you know, hey so and so is not doing their job. They're not helping me do what you asked them to do. And normally it was because dad had each one of the kids doing something different. And so, like, I do the baseboards, and Joe and Danielle, my sister, clean the windows with Windex because I can't clean windows. And it was not intentional uh, that I did a bad job. I just did a bad job. But anyway, so we'd always complain and this and that and the other. And so here's Martha saying, Jesus, I'm doing something important. Would you tell her to help me? Which is really mind-boggling to me. When it says it, and you guys probably heard this before, I think, but when she was making preparations, it says that she was busy making preparations. The word preparations is where we get the word ministry from. And so Martha is distracted doing ministry. So she's not necessarily doing a bad thing. She's doing a good thing, but she's distracted by it. Translation, we can do lots of good things, and it can distract you from really doing what the Lord wants you to do. Don't get so caught up doing good things that you forget the most important thing, which is actually him. All right? And so she's distracted by the preparations, and, and it actually means that, that uh, uh, distracted means that she was detached. It actually means that she was pulled away doing this stuff. See, sometimes we get so focused on doing things that it actually pulls us away from Jesus. Let's even say it even more acutely. Sometimes we get so distracted doing things for Jesus that we get pulled away from Jesus. (laughs) Yeah. And, (laughs) oh man. And what's crazy is that, like, this hadn't really happened here but distracted people typically distract other people. It's like, what I'm doing is important. Come and join me. And uh, and that's why she tried to disrupt Jesus. Anyway, so in proximity, we can feed her spirit. She had a sister called Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. And again, it's the same word. It has a little different root. So this one's only used one time in the New Testament. But this one actually means that that Mary had her head pressed up on Jesus' feet. So it wasn't she was just sitting at his feet, Indian-style, like, teach me. She was actually laid down on his feet, and he was dispensing the words of life to her. And, and this is, this is actually, I read, that this is a, um, a posture that a real disciple would take. When the rabbis were teaching, they would sit, in front of them, you know, typically the rabbi would be in an elevated position, uh, similar to the the platform, and they would be sitting on the ground. But the close pupils, the ones that wanted to, I I don't wanna say like the teacher's pet, (laughs) essentially, but the ones that wanted to be really close, or the ones that were really gaining closer access, or the ones that were really learning really quickly and really well, would lay at the feet of the rabbi as they began to teach. And so here's Mary laying at his feet, beginning to speak to him, which, by the way, I think... This is why I believe it's okay for women in ministry, by the way, too. Just saying. She's a disciple at his feet. So anyway, it's a whole other thing. Um, All right. So Mary took the time to lay down at his feet just so she could hear his voice. And Martha was worried over... Physical nourishment, worried over ministry. She was more concerned with this stuff. She was more concerned about making Jesus peanut butter and jelly sandwiches that he never even asked for, rather than staying at his feet. And it says that she was listening to his word, which actually means she was hearing. And not only hearing what Jesus was saying, it actually has this meaning that she was receiving what she was saying. It's like when we we pray with her, we say pray with your hands open, do this in a receiving posture. She was hearing what Jesus was saying, and she was receiving what Jesus was saying. And so it was actually uh, uh, changing her heart. And it could have this meaning as well. She was hearing and receiving. And, and, and the word listening, it means that almost as if Jesus was telling secrets that was only for her to hear. If we really want to go grow close to the Lord, we sit ourselves at his feet, and he begins to speak to us. And yeah, some of it's revealed knowledge, but sometimes he's going to speak something to you that's only specifically for you. And the only way that you will hear that is if you take the time to be in his presence. It's the same thing with spouses. It's the same thing with close friends. The the, the only time that you're going to have a spouse or a close friend tell you something that's solely between you and them is if you take the time to be specifically with them. Like, April's not going to tell me a secret in a crowded room. It's just silly, right? Hey, guess what, Michael? She's not going to do that. Same thing if your best friend, your best guy friend, your best girlfriend, you're not going to be in a crowded room of people or sitting at a table with a bunch of people telling each other deep secrets about one another or talking to one another. But if you're one-on-one, you have that ability to do that. And so here's Mary saying, you have these words, Jesus. I think it's a picture of Matthew 4.4. 4. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the Father's mouth. She's sitting there, and he's dispensing these secrets, these words, these living and active words so that it nourishes her spirit so that she can do what he has asked her to do. And I can't stress the importance of this. I really can't. can't stress the importance of this. Like, I know all you guys. You guys are good people. But if we're not careful, we can get really busy. And, and like, I live and, die by, I live and die by the calendar that's in this thing. I do. I mean, it, it's like I, I forget stuff all the time. And April put stuff in here for me, and Tasha started putting stuff in here for me now too, so I don't forget. It really helps. It really, really does help. And if you're like me, and I know most of you are, you have so much going on, and it's, it is so easy even for things to encroach on the time that I have set aside for the Lord. It's like I, I go to bed. I, it's no secret. I go to bed early. I, you know, I was in bed last night by 9:30, and I'm so thankful to do that. I'm up early, but I'm up early so I can spend time with the Lord. But if I'm not careful, I go to bed at 9.30 and I wake up, and this morning I had 12 text messages. That didn't seem like a big deal. But out of the 12, nine of them really needed a response and an answer too. So I woke up, you know, 4 a.m., and I could have very easily just sat down there and responded to each and every one of them because they deserved a response. But I waited until I had spent time sitting at his feet. And it had been, And now, I'll be honest, I knew I had those text messages. I knew I had them. And it took me a few minutes to quit thinking about them, if that makes sense. And so it's really easy for things to encroach. Maybe it's an email. Maybe some of you, it's social media, scrolling through it, I don't know. Or it's a, whatever it is, I'm, I'm telling you, whatever has the propensity to distract you, I know that the enemy will use that to distract you. It could be watching the news. I don't know. It could be all kinds of stuff. Inherently good things that can crowd out the one thing. All right. All right. So, in proximity, we discover our identity. It says, but Lord, verse 41, but the Lord answered, said, Martha, Martha, which is really him speaking to her as a child. He's saying, Martha, Martha. You're worried and bothered by so many things, but only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Worried, you're worried, which means to be anxious. And again, bothered means distracted, pulled away by so many things. And verse 42 says, But only one thing, that only one thing is Jesus Himself, is important. I read this, a sermon from Charles Wesley in 1816. Charles Wesley, sermon number five. Not that that matters, but (laughs) the fifth sermon, Charles Wesley, preached. It says, he was was commenting on this, the one thing. And he says, to recover our first estate, the one thing is to recover our first estate, which we are fallen is the one thing needful. To re-exchange the image of the enemy for the image of God. Bondage for freedom, sickness for health. Our one great business is to erase out of our souls the likeness of our destroyer and to be born again and formed anew in the likeness of our Creator. And so he's commenting on that, on this very passage. The one thing, the only way we're going to be conformed to the image of Christ is if we spend time at the feet of Christ, close proximity. And it says that it will not be taken away from her. Really quickly here, not taken away from her. Like I'm just going to be honest. And I heard Todd White say this, so this isn't my statement. This is his. But you didn't give me my relationship with Christ, and there is nothing anyone in this room can do to take it away either. You can't do anything, Logan, to me that's going to take it away. Can't because you didn't give it to me in the first place. (laughs) Now, you may do stuff and say stuff that hurts me, that aggravates me, that frustrates me, but you won't take it away from me. The only one that gave that to me was him when I was there at his feet, and if he's the only one that can give it to me, he's the only one that can legally take it away, and he's not gonna take it away. That's good news. (laughs) All right, real quick here, in proximity, we find love. Matthew, and, and again, now, these are little different words, but when we're at his feet, and like literally at his feet, and speaking to him, and he speaks to us, we find the love of the Lord. Matthew 22, 37, Jesus says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who were sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were unwilling. Jesus' goal is to gather his people. He says he likens it to a mother hen and her wings. He, he wants to gather his people near and surround them. And the only way he does that, the only reason why he would do that is because he loves and if we would get into his presence, we would realize just how loved we are. That's the hardest thing, I think, for people to understand. Like, I can, I can understand how he loves Ethan, or I can understand how he loves Mary Kay, but sometimes I struggle with, why does he love me? I, I know the things that I've thought, <laughs> right? I know the things that I've said. I know the things that I've done. You all may not know it, but I... I know, I know exactly what goes on up here sometimes. <laughs> it's scary. <laughs> <like> sometimes. <laughs> yeah. but it is. So, someday, I tell you, yeah, anyway. I would, I would struggle living in the Pacific Northwest where it's always rainy and dark and cloudy. I just know that. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. It is not. I would struggle with the perception of the Pac-Northwest. Most winter, yeah. It would not be for me. Or when we got asked to pastor in Alaska, where it's dark, most of the time, I would not be able to do that because I know what was going on up here. Wouldn't be good. Huh? Yeah. It's not. (laughs) No. But if we could stay there with him, he begins to tell us who we are and how he feels about us. And that changes everything. I put online this week the most important thing about me is that he calls me beloved. That's it. That's the most important thing. In proximity, we find grace and mercy and sonship. It's another extended part of identity. It's it's like we may have had a bed, deadbeat mom or dad, but it doesn't matter. He's a good father who loves me and wants to take care of us. I mean, I mean that that's just that's just the truth of the gospel right there. In proximity, we find rest. This is what I shared on Friday night. Uh, Matthew 11, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Hmm. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart. You'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He says, come to me, approach me, get into my presence, all you who are weary and heavy laden, which essentially means that It's like this weariness is anxiety and anxiousness. And what happens is is you get full of anxiety and anxiousness, and it gets piled on you. That's heavy laden. That's burden. It gets piled on you, and you get weighed down by life. And as you get weighed down, you become more anxious and more weary and more burdened. And it just keeps piling on. It's this cycle that happens over and over and over in our lives. And Jesus says, come to me, and I'll give you rest. I'll give you reprieve. I will give you actually um, spiritual recovery is what he's saying. I'll give you a, a spiritual exhalation, if you will. And he tells us this. He says, come to me. There's a lot of people that are stressed out. I, I, think, I think that we are more, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm 36. I'm, I'm not, I haven't been around forever, but... I sure think that people are more stressed out now than they were five years ago. I, I don't know if that's just me, and uh, maybe, maybe Bob, you, maybe people are more stressed out than they were 20 years ago, 30 years ago, I, and, and, and I'm not sure what it is. I don't know if it's the, if it's the cult of productivity right, or the cult of Instagram and Facebook and social media where you got to accomplish this, this, and this and look like you have everything all together. And so people get stressed out all the time about all these things, about keeping up with the Joneses that absolutely do not make a hill of beans. And Jesus says, if you would just come to me, I would give you rest. I said Friday, I, I think that this right here, the idea of rest, and it's not like rest, that went to bed at 9.30, it's, this is rest where I'm not going to get stressed out no matter what happens. And that's so much easier to say than do. So much easier to say than do. And so, like, this is something I'm preaching about, but this is also something that I wrestle with, okay? which I don't have this down. <laughs> and, and it's weird, because, like, for me, the big things, I'm like, well, the Lord's got it. <laughs> the Lord's got it, you know? But the little things eat my lunch. And I don't get that. The Lord says, if you'll come to him, if we'll get at his feet, he'll give us rest. It sounds so simplistic. But I know if things encroach on my time with him, I I can just about guarantee it. If I start getting really stressed out and aggravated and frustrated, I probably haven't been at his feet as much as I typically am. And, and I'm not trying to put a time frame it on for anyone. I'm just being real and honest right here. If I get stressed out, it's probably because I've not been there. And if I haven't been there, it's because I've gotten distracted and been pulled away from there. And if I've gotten distracted and pulled away from there, I get all frantic and stressed out and aggravated and frustrated. And April, t- like I'm, I'm a bear when I get agitated. I'm just not pleasant to be around get at his feet thank you you love me you've got this i'm going to be still and know that you're god (laughs) i know that you have a plan and a purpose in this i know i know that if you can hold all of creation in order i know that if you can say let there be light and it springs out of your mouth at 186,000 miles per second I know you can handle this little insy teensy thing that I have going on in my life. I know, I know you can handle it when someone typed a weird and mean and bad thing about me on the internet, God. I I know that you can take care of this person that I feel like that they used to be really close to you, Lord, and right now they feel far away from. Me. I know you've got this. <sighs> you understand? Like this, this is this is where it's at. And this, it's like, how do we win our world? I promise it's not standing on the street corner yelling, turn or burn. It's it's not. I think it's us collectively living like this, (sighs) and I don't even know how to articulate that. But I think if we could live like that, that's attractive for people, with as stressed out and anxiety ridden as everyone is. If we could say. He's got it, man. It's like, how are you? Especially in today's culture, we post everything online anyway. There's not much. A lot of it's curated. I know that. But a lot of people are very open about what's going on in their life. What if instead of saying it's the worst day ever, we're like, this happened, but God's still good. It would change things. All right. And in proximity, we find healing. I'll go over this. we got a few minutes. Mark 1, Mark 1, verse 40. I'll just read this pretty quickly. And a leper came to Jesus. The word came to Jesus, or came to, it's the same words that we've used over. It means to approach. It means to essentially get in his presence. Came to Jesus, beseeching him, falling on his knees before him, saying, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched them and said, I am willing. Be cleansed. By the way, this is a really fascinating verse. He says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. So, so he didn't even doubt Jesus' ability to heal him. He doubted Jesus' willingness to heal him. This is a picture of many people's relationship with Jesus. We know that he can, but we doubt if he wants to for us. We doubt that he actually cares enough about us as an individual and as a person. I feel him all over that right here. We doubt that he feels that way about us as individuals. And and Jesus says, I am willing. It's funny. When he says, I am willing, be cleansed, there's this little, I don't know, The way it's written in the Greek, it means that he says, I am willing, almost like with a crying compassion. He says, I am willing. Not, I am willing, you know. I mean, I am willing. Be cleansed. If we would get at his feet, I don't think we would doubt the goodness of God, especially for us. I actually think we would know, begin to know how he really feels about people and, and know that he's inherently good and he has plans and purposes and he deeply values each one of us. And I heard one of my favorite ministers from the 60s and 70s, it doesn't matter his name, but I sure love him. Huh. He would say stuff like if people only realized how good he was, they'd never want to leave him. So if I could get here and stay here, I'd never get talked out of how he feels. I am willing to be cleansed. And so I say all that, I could go on and on and on about how if we get in his presence and stay there, he'd speak, he'd do this, that, or the other. And I think we'll probably start heading a different direction next week. Um, But I can't overstate this. If we, as a church and as a Christian people, are going to do what the Lord's called us to do, it'll be simply because we've said, I'm going to stay right here with him no matter what. and and Psalms 1 that we just read. He'll be like a tree firmly planted. I get animated talking about the transplanting is what it means. Here, there. Make the decision to stay there. That's go and wait until you receive power from on high. That's the willingness to spend time with him until he does what he wants to do in you and through you. And that's hard and that requires more. And again, I'm not putting a time frame on anything because all of us are different. But I promise you that requires more than getting a text message with the you version Bible verse of the day or whatever you're using and reading that and then reading someone else's thought about that verse. I don't have a problem with that. I really don't. I think those things are good. But I do have a problem if that's the only time we're spending with him. Because then we're going to feel tired and weary and broken and frustrated. Okay? And I want to receive that power from on high. Because not only I need it and they need it. Amen? Amen. So Jesus, we love you, honor you.